out a blink of an eye. Life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 3, Reach Out and Touch. Hello, everyone. I love it when we are all listening in together. Do you feel the energy of each other? There's a lot of information now in science on collective energy, and I believe we are creating that energy field here and now. Do you feel it? I also love how much I hear from you. Your comments and stories really move me. Wonderful people I hear from. Like, hello, Josh. You are inspiring and amazing as a man rendered quadriplegic during your teenage years that you're now a lawyer. And I'm so happy for you and your new wife, Katie. <laughs> yeah, Josh told me he recently married the woman of his dreams. Good things do happen when we reach out. And that's what I want to explore in this episode. The energy that is created when you reach out and connect to widen the energy field that can make good things happen. That kind of reach and connection can change outcomes. And with technology that can carry requests far and wide, people do good things for other people all the time. They really do. And perhaps that is nowhere more apparent than when someone is in crisis. As human beings, <laughs> it's as if crisis provides us the ability to fulfill the moral imperative we all have to respond to others who suffer. And that's where I was on this day in the blink of an eye story. But you know, one of the things I was really struggling with on this 10th day in the ICU? Connection. In the first week in the ICU, I had come to hold my phone like a lifeline and felt the intimacy of text messages because people did respond. And while my husband Billy and my sweet daughter Paula were trying to help me get some rest and had begun posting my family updates on Facebook the day before for a faster dissemination to family and a few friends, I realized I'd lost some of the intimacy that was holding me together. I remember that disconnected feeling so well. It was almost a low-grade panic in my body. I could feel it in my chest. I liked the intimacy of text messages while 
trying not to disturb Archer. And I remember the panicky feeling so well. I remember thinking I was in bad shape, but I needed to move on. I was aware of trauma. I've taught about trauma and conflict for years. And I knew I was just slammed again with that strange situation that two days prior and then the heart attack yesterday and that I was just experiencing overwhelm and what happens when things are so out of control. But what I did not have a full awareness of back then was how familiar that feeling of panic was for me. But I've come to understand it more five years later and a lot more work. That the loss of connection and that panicky feeling had its origin when I was a very little girl. (laughs) It was an old sensation I've never fully metabolized that was stirred up again, stored in the cells of my body when I was very young, age three and a half, and lost my father in an unexplained commercial airplane crash. Loss, disconnection. I want to spend some time in trauma healing learnings on this. Yes, prior trauma is often stirred up in new traumas and times of great uncertainty and stress. So on this day, when I felt that I wanted to know we were not alone, I really needed to know and believe I was not alone. I distinctly remember telling Billy, I wasn't sure the posting on Facebook was a good idea. I found a note in the medical journal about this doubt recently. But I'll never forget the encouragement he seemed to muster when I knew he was as wiped out and as fragile as I was. He looked at me, a lock of his dark, blackish-brown hair hanging down his tired and worn face. And he said, Keep writing, Louise. Keep writing. Paula will post for you. It was profound for me because I trust Billy with my well-being. But it was especially moving. And so on this day in the story, it was like life itself was hung in the balance. And it was for Archer. And I felt like it was for me. And while I was at Archer's side, I'll share with you who was at my side. So here we go, back to August 2015 in the ICU in Atlantic City. Settle in. Settle your spirit. See what resonates for you. Here we go. August 14th, day 10. Life can change in the blink of an eye. 
It had been another long day. And it was again around midnight when I sent this message to Paula to send to our family and friends. Friday, family update. Death be gone. I swept Archer's room with peppermint oil in every corner, threw open the shades for natural light and dabbed him with lavender and gave him bergamot and peppermint to smell under his nose as I continued to lay ice-cold washcloths on his forehead to get him through the fever that had set in from the new round of pneumonia that lurks in ICUs. Evil be gone, I say. And we have Frim Fram from Pandora playing in his room on a mini jam box. I don't want French fried potatoes, red ripe tomatoes. I'm never satisfied. I want the Frim Fram sauce with the Ozenfay, with your fava on the side. Those beautiful, uplifting, sweet swoons from the 1940s that we like. Darkness be gone from this room. I have felt the strength of collective prayer again in very real, tangible ways. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to your friends and their friends and the prayer chains and masses I've heard bits and pieces about. Yesterday morning, after Archer's cardiac arrest, I questioned if I was strong enough. I wasn't sure as my legs buckled under me when I was not able to reach him. And again, as we sat in silence in the pre-dawn after his heart went to zero and the line on the monitor was flat, waiting to see if the dopamine and pacemaker would be the right combination. There's a reason why they call it the dead of night. Throughout the rest of the morning into the afternoon, a few things happened. When Archer was at least partially alert, hours later, I said, Hello, my love. Welcome back. I asked if he was aware of what happened. He moved his head ever so slightly that he did not. <laughs> A movement as deeny tiny now as the single flap of a hummingbird. You'd miss it if you were not studying your hummingbird very closely. I was surprised and felt my stomach drop and knew then it was purely the Holy Spirit that carried him through. As it was not possible for him to have summoned his will, even if he had wanted to, in response to the medical team screaming loudly at him over and over, Archer, wake up. Your prayers were heard. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Mother Mary. Later in the afternoon, the cleaning lady came 
we've quietly befriended each other with mere hellos, it's good to see you, and thank yous. She tentatively pulled back the curtain of our room to enter and began mopping and glanced quickly at me and said, You are a strong woman. I was moved, but I heard myself saying faintly, I don't think I'm strong enough. She moved closer to me and began in a low voice with her head down, still mopping. We're not supposed to speak about you know what here, but I watch. I know. It's why I'm here in my job. She then stopped mopping and looked right at me. With her head lifted, she said, I see you. I see your family. I see you pray. I watch. You are strong enough. I've watched your boy. He is strong. I've told my people. I have all my people praying for you. And in that moment, I felt transported by this simple messenger. Miracles all around us. And I was sent an angel when I so needed it. Good night. I'll write about other things later. Thank you for being here in person and in love and for keeping your faith because it helps me keep mine. And please continue to pray to the Blessed Mother who always listens. Amen. I did write about other things later in the Archer blogs, many things. But I didn't write about what was also happening behind the scenes. Here's a glimpse of that day. I'd kept my phone close to me all day on silent mode and vibration off, but tucked in my front pocket. I had sent out the ask to my family and friends in the wee hours to pray, and to more friends as the dawn broke. Archer still lay almost motionless, his eyes still closed. I asked medical staff often if there was someone whom I could meet with for a report. Some were tentative, others more direct, that I needed to contact someone in admin. Admin? I didn't understand that. The day was busy and the day was painfully slow. While waiting on any response from Archer, what seemed like a gazillion staff came in and out of Archer's room checking monitors closely, poking, prodding, turning him, rotating him in shifts as a team. But none of the medical staff conversed with me which I found so odd. But all I wanted was to watch Archer closely and let him know I was there 
fever had set in, and I knew his body was working hard to fight something. I couldn't imagine what it must be like and wondered how far away he was in his thoughts. He looked drawn, thin, and very hooked up on so many tubes and machines, so many, that I wondered if all the machines were making him weaker or causing his will to wane. That was disturbing to me. I spent the day texting others and asking them to pray for Archer to have the will to live. I did. It was a naked plea from a desperate place. I knew he could turn this corner if he had the support of collective prayers. I really believed this. I asked so many people to pray to the Blessed Mother Mary. I did. Even my Jewish friends. Why not? Everyone knows Jesus as a prophet or the Son of God and his mother, a very holy woman. I felt those signs were coming in all day long. I would take my phone out of my pocket every once in a while and every time I glanced at it, there were more texts. So many more texts. And they all said simple words. I will. I am. I don't know how, but I will for you. And others texted words like, my pastor is too. Or all the children at the summer camp are. Or all 87 of my cousins are. Praying. The messages continued to pour in all day. Hundreds. I can't explain exactly how it was. But each text was like oxygen. And in my look back, I also found a text from Billy to me. And it said, Your outreach and asking people to pray to Mary sustains me too. Billy and I were passing like ships in the night but we were connected again by the prayers, by the outreach, feeling held together by those texts. I know I've told you how essential they were and how they carried only the essential. But as the day wore on, they carried more as well. They carried other people's stories that both comforted me and that I could learn from. Yes, I felt we were carried by others not present or present. I know I've told you how essential they were and how they carried only the essential. 
But as the day wore on, they carried more than that, too. They carried other people's stories that both comforted me and that I could learn from. Yes, I felt we were carried by others not present in that hospital. Here are just a handful of those texts. This one was from one of my grade school best friends, Noreen Kane Gant, who lives in Missouri. Oh, before I tell you about the text, I just have to tell you that Noreen and I grew up together, first grade to eighth grade, attending Blessed Sacrament School in Springfield, Illinois. We played jacks and braided each other's hair and jumped rope and rode a tandem bicycle and spent every Friday night together in a slumber party watching Love American Style. And then we had wild crushes on Terry Sponsler and Mark Hartman for what seemed like years. And then we grew up, went to college, moved to different states, got married, had families. We didn't stay in touch that often. But when we did, it was as if no time at all had elapsed and we would instantly connect and pick up where we left off. I wonder if you have friends like that too. I'll bet you do. Noreen, dear friend, you know it meant the world to me to see your name come up on my phone text. How did you hear? I could hear her voice in the words she wrote. Louise, I have hesitated to text you, knowing it could arrive while you are sleeping, eating, processing, driving, talking to doctors, or with Archer, tending to him, not wanting to intrude or disturb in any way. I know time is so precious now. I just had to reach out to you. I'm so torn apart after hearing of Archer's accident. He has remained in my thoughts and constant prayers for recovery every day. I pray for you, Billy, and your family for continued strength and hope to carry on this battle with him. I believe with God anything is possible, and I know you and Billy do as well. It is hard to be hopeful when little may be given by doctors and not let fear overtake your thoughts when all you want to do is send positive energy to your son. Hearing and processing all the medical status updates can feel like one gut punch after another. But remember, doctors are wrong often and have lost their sensitivity somewhere during residency. You have to be beyond tired frightened with all the unknowns. Yet I know you are bulletproof in battle. I wish I could be there to help you in any way. So just know you are in my heart and on my mind with all I do. My thoughts turn to Archer so often, and I pray again and again. I was up all night imagining what you must be going through knowing I could not grasp it. Hang on, dear friend. So many are sending love 
and prayers of healing and strength. Try to write the day or shift's events down in a small notebook you can pass on to anyone who is there to help you with the shifts, to help you remember what was said and done as it unfolds each day. The days have to all become blurry and blended by now. It will help. We did that with my mother. Plus, the staff stays a little sharper when notes are being taken. Louise, I am right behind you. If you fall, it's okay. Take a moment to allow yourself some time. You will rise again, regroup, and carry on. I love you. I am always here anytime, day or night, to let out your pain, to build you up, whatever you need. Don't hesitate to call for one second. Please do not feel you need to reply. I have been feeling you in a very strong way for days. I just needed to reach out to let you know. Heart emoji, Maureen. Yes, I can feel you too, dear friend. It is real that you can feel the presence of others even when they are not physically able to be with you over the miles, or even if they've passed on from this plane of living. It's a heart connection, I think. Even when people die, their love is still present. The energy of their love. If you've never experienced it, just call out the name of the person you love who's far away or who has passed. Pause and be silent for a while. You can begin to feel their presence often in the quiet, sometimes in your thoughts. Well, Noreen was one of those people I could feel and I have felt for years. <laughs> I still laugh when I think about when we were young girls and my mom used to say that no one was able to place a phone call to our house because Noreen and Louise monopolized the one phone line talking every night for hours, <laughs> for years. As I wrapped myself absentmindedly in the long tangled up phone cord of our kitchen phone that hung on the wall, <laughs> as we talked and giggled and murmured so no one could hear us and dreamed and talked more about everything, like there was no tomorrow. But we were hardly grade school girls anymore. And life just took a hard turn. But our connection had not changed. To know that she knew about Archer and was out there somewhere with us on her mind meant a great deal to me. Because I knew what that meant to be on her mind. Do you have a friend like that? Maybe more than one if you're really lucky. But one is enough. And I was surrounded by those kinds of friends and their love and connection. I texted her back. Thank you, dear old friend. He was in cardiac arrest at 3.45 a.m. 
my dear God, deliver us. Our stories inspire each other. And I think it was Noreen's story about writing things down that anchored me to make sure I did. We can learn so much from each other's experiences. It was actually extraordinary to me. I felt a momentum with each connection like my empty engine was fueled up again. It was also surreal because all this was happening without a word uttered. As I sat bedside to Archer, quietly holding cold compresses under his armpits, hoping it might ease the fever and his suffering. I remember it clearly when the pulmonologist came in and told me Archer had pneumonia. He was the only person who had really spoken to me all day, except my many questions to staff about Archer's diagnosis and wondering what had happened, what caused the heart attack, and now pneumonia? I recalled the words of Dr. Chris Radcliffe again, unless something really bad happens like pneumonia. Oh my God, Lord. Please deliver us. We can't continue to be slammed like this. Please help Archer. It was then that I did something quite bold for me. It may not have been bold for you, but it was for me. We needed more prayers. And so I closed my eyes and I asked God, whom else did I need to reach out to and ask for help, Lord? And in that silence, it was amazing the number of names that came into my mind of people I had not been in contact with for a long time, including former clients. And so I looked them up on my phone and I texted them. <laughs> It was risky business asking them to pray. And who was I? But there was no time to waste. And while I did not want to offend anyone, my boy was in grave jeopardy and we needed help. I knew we could be carried through this with united prayer. I remember looking at my phone, which had about 15,000 or more contacts of people I'd worked with or trained over the years. It was like, that was my lifeline. As I sent the text to many people I knew and liked very much, but who were not close friends or in my family, I wondered if they would pray for us. Archer's heart was barely beating. He was feverish. His lungs had already collapsed and now he had pneumonia. We needed a lifeline. I wanted him to roar again. I knew he would if we could just get through. 
through this. Remember that song by Diana Ross, Reach Out and Touch? Yeah, I had that song rolling around in my head. I did. Reach out and touch. Reach out and touch somebody's hand. Make this world a better place if you can. Reach out and touch somebody's hand. Make this world a better place. The first person who came into my mind was Jim Kennedy. He was a client. His company was a client. I was wearing my faith out on my sleeve, flapping in the wind and so vulnerable. Jim, I wanted to ask you to pray for me and my family. Our 17-year-old son, Archer, had an ocean swimming accident in Cape May, August 5th. He broke his neck at C5 and is paralyzed from the neck down. Archer went into cardiac arrest at 3.45 a.m. today as I watched his heartbeat drop to zero, and he was not reachable. I knew he could hear me. He can have a good life. We will help him have a good life. Oh, God, please deliver us from this. Please pray that Archer has the will to live. Please keep us in your prayers and pray to the Blessed Mother Mary. She always listens. That is what I yearned for. It's as if Archer's jaw was locked on the ventilator tube and I was scared he was going to cut off his oxygen. I also wondered if he was in such excruciating pain or in shock. He was not reachable. I wanted to hold hands with a lot of people and send that circle of hands to Archer to comfort him. And I wanted to be in that circle too with someone holding my hand. I think trauma is like that. When you're so vulnerable and in shock, all you want is to have someone near, touching you, holding your hand. It's simple and so profound. If you have ever been in an accident or a situation where your body has just been violated or seriously harmed, I know this is a real human reaction and need. And loving touch is very powerful. So I reached out to tell others what had happened and that we needed them. And Jim and many others did respond. And each response was like a touch. It was. And oh, how they did respond. Looking back now more than five years later and pouring over hundreds of text messages from this one day alone, I was struck by how most all of the texters who responded sent me messages that 
calmed my heart as if we had a direct connection. As the news traveled, my friends and family and clients sent messages written from their hearts as if their hearts knew what my heart needed, which was to be reminded, reminded of what I knew. They lifted my spirits, and as my spirits were lifted, it stirred a feeling of hopefulness as I attentively kept close to Archer with my hand on his arm, even though they said he could not feel it. But I think he did. It didn't matter. I wanted him to know I was there, even if he couldn't feel my hand as his eyes remained closed. I knew he could feel my presence. And the text messages throughout the day that poured in continued to be soul comforting. Like this one from Hadley Hubbard Feiss, my friend in Baltimore who also summered in Cape May. She wrote, And there was one from my friend Jan Ubalt in Baltimore. He wrote, I knew we were not alone and that we mattered and that Archer's life mattered to many people. It was incredibly comforting to be reminded of this. And these text messages did just that. And there were other types of messages as well with helpful information, not too much and nothing I had to research or look into. But what might be helpful in that moment based on their personal experiences? Here is one Paula forwarded to me from my Facebook page. She wrote, It's all unbearable, and one minute at a time unbearable. I have a nursing degree, so I know about what you describe. But I can only cry, as I wish it weren't something you and Archer need to experience. I watched a movie in nursing school about a young woman named Joni, I think, who grew up to become a very wonderful artist with only mobility in her head after a diving accident. Quite inspirational. It was interesting that my mother, wheelchair-bound by Parkinson's, was reminded by your writings, Louise, 
to feel blessed about her ability to whisper words and to sometimes get her food to her mouth. She and my dad are praying for all of you. Those messages still take my breath away. How we learn from each other when we share. Other messengers sent beautiful pictures of nature or beautiful uplifting quotes like this one sent by my friend Ann Hammond in Houston, Texas. Who holds your heart? The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Yes, each message was so precious to me. Thank you, angels, as family and friends. You were like guides to me. I was able to see the path. I just wanted to know we were not alone. And we were not. We were connected. And we were unified. We were. It was soul-to-soul connection. It was. It later occurred to me that those who have been through crisis, loss, abandonment, who have grieved deeply themselves, might have easier access to heartfelt connections, knowing what to say to someone else who is afraid and injured and in trauma. I'd be curious what you think about that. (laughs) I think about my friends Nan Heller and Robert Gunn in California. Their text message said it all. Yes, it was like they knew. I felt understood. And that feeling stirred my heart. And each time my heart was stirred, I felt stronger in my body. I did. I was no longer weak-kneed. It was as if anything was possible when we were connected. And we were. And we were unified. Come on, Archer. We can make it through this. We have to. So you can walk again. So you can be an artist again. 
You can't die, Archer. Not in this hospital. But I had no idea of what might happen. And I could see the reality in that room. But I also saw more. But it scared me because I wondered if Archer was dying. And if I looked away, he'd be gone. The chief of trauma came in. It was around 5 o'clock p.m. and repeated very solemnly that Archer was not turning the corner. And then he said, he might not turn the corner. I don't think I have ever been reduced to a point of such vulnerability. I found a note in my medical journal that said, on the floor begging. Oh yes, the only place I wanted to be was on the floor, on my knees, begging God. I remember as the doctor walked out of the room, I slipped off my chair onto my knees, down onto the linoleum. Please, Lord, please let him live. Give him the will to live. A nurse came in and told me I should not be on the floor for hygiene reasons. I tried to block her out of my concentration. I didn't care. But she stood there and told me again. I slowly picked myself up and feebly returned to my chair. And I closed my eyes. Here is the last update of the night I sent to Paula to post. I pray for every parent that you never experience your child having a cardiac arrest. No goodbyes. No way to tell him even more of what is in my heart. The medical team is deathly quiet and waiting to see if modern magic will be enough. He won't let up on biting, clamping down his ventilator tube. Oh, please, Lord, grant him the will to live. As I look back, the text messengers taught me so much for how I want to respond to others in their crises. Put yourself in this frame of mind, heart-to-heart connection. People in trauma are on an emotional roller coaster. 
Imagine in your mind the person you want to connect with and really see them in your mind and send your love in whatever flavor you want, but make it pure and put words to it. And it's okay to say you don't know what to say, but remember, you do. You do have words and your friends need to hear them. (laughs) I can hear my mom now saying to me when I was a young girl in middle school, whenever one of my friends, grandpa, grandma passed away, my mom would direct me to the cabinet and her desk that held her boxes of beautiful note cards. It's important to reach out, Louise. Send a note, honey, that you're thinking about them, even if you never met their grandparent who passed. Tell them you know loss is hard and that you can't wait to see them to give them a hug. It's the person living you want to comfort, honey. And she'd add, and make sure to tell them that their mom doesn't have to ride us back when we drop off a casserole. Yep, that's how it was. I was taught that. And those sending me text messages to room 3117, I bet their mom or grandma taught them the same thing. Let them know you are thinking about them and you care. Share a kindness. Do a good deed. Ease their sorrow. Don't add to their burdens. As we close, in these more than five years that have passed since these days in the ICU, I have talked to many families who have suffered spinal cord injuries about their experiences in ICUs. They have all reported how uplifting it was to just know people were thinking of them. How solid it felt to know people were praying for them. And how kind it was when anyone sent them words of encouragement. It's so simple, isn't it? I also learned of other spinal cord injured people in crisis who did not have any support team of friends or family, none. And they often didn't make it. We need each other. So if you hear of someone in a crisis, even if you don't know them, it's good to reach out. And you can reach out even with your positive thought that you send their way or a prayer for them. You can. Or you might text them acknowledging you are aware and holding them in your thoughts or prayers. Or if you have their address, maybe you might write them or send something 
as if you were their friend or family. (laughs) Really, aren't we all brothers and sisters? That is powerful to me to think about because I forget that sometimes. And yes, send a beautiful photo, send a quote, send a piece of scripture, send a short story from your own experience. And if it is you in the trauma, reach out. Reach out and ask for what your heart needs most. It's good for you. And it's good for those you ask. Because people will reach back and touch. And touch. Human touch. From the heart. Is so good for all of us. We're wired this way as humans. We do impact each other. And if you are in crisis, scared, you might remember and be comforted that you don't have to do life alone. Like that small elderly maintenance woman whispered to me, you are strong and my people are praying for you. Amen. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. You may tune in to the trauma healing learnings that accompany this story this Saturday at Trauma Healing Learnings, Episode 3. Reach out and touch. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blink of an Eye is sponsored by I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation. I See That is recruiting and training doctors, nurses, lawyers, insurance adjusters, members of the faith community, and parents for their multidisciplinary teams, which offer emotional support, advocacy guidance, and unwavering faith in what is possible moms and dads during the first 30 days of the intensive care unit experience with a spinal cord injured child or family member. You can learn more about I See That by visiting www.icthat.org. That's the letters I-C-T-H-A-T dot org.